from our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Welcome to Total SF in Exile, and welcome by Skype, then Zoom, uh, Heather Knight and Audrey Cooper. This is the Chronicle's Apollo 11 moment, 13 moment. I forget which one it was where they landed on the moon. <laughs> one of those Apollos. Well, one of them, they almost exploded, so I don't think that's a <laughs> good analogy. <laughs> it could be either one. Um, this is a three-person Zoom podcast recording, I believe the first in Chronicle history. Historians will look back on this podcast <laughs> and teach it in scholarly journalism classes. Welcome, Heather. You're not saying much. How are you doing? I haven't seen you in like a week and a half. I know. We didn't do one last week. I'm good. I have my usual glass of wine here. Excellent. Well, we're going to talk um, We're going to talk contagion today. Um, today's movie is one that... I recommend no one watch right now. It's really going to stress you out, but we're going to talk about it anyway because everyone is watching Contagion, movie that takes place in San Francisco. Let's listen to a minute of the trailer. Is there any way someone could weaponize the bird flu? Is that what we're looking at? Someone doesn't have to weaponize the bird flu. The birds are doing that. Watch this. It's transmission, so we just need to know which direction. On day one, there were two people, and then four, and then 16. In three months, it's a billion. That's where we're headed. They're calling out the National Guard. They're moving the president underground. People will panic. Get away! It will tip over. The truth is being kept from the world. Cook your samples, destroy everything. Contagion. Um... I want to talk about that, but first I want to ask you, how have your TV and movie habits changed since we've been in quarantine? Audrey Cooper, what are you watching? How have things changed since you've been sheltering in place? So Contagion, because you forced me to watch it, which I would have (laughs) never watched in a million years during a pandemic. I feel like it's like backwards abuse for an employee to force their boss to do that. Um, I've been watching a lot of Ellen's Game of Games, uh, which is a big hit in our household (laughs) because I cannot handle a movie with any level of stress in it whatsoever. And even cartoons, like I'm crying more at the cartoons. I can't stand the hardcore movies. So this is the first like adult movie I think I've seen in at least two months. And a very stressful one. Um, I apologize for nothing. Heather Knight, <laughs> your your uh, your quarantine TV habits. I am also keeping it light. Um, my little boy, the one who memorized every Muni line, is now obsessed with geography and trivia. And so he loves watching old Jeopardy episodes on Netflix randomly. He got a final Jeopardy about Mozambique right and all the contestants got it wrong. Um, mom brag right there. Other than that, really horrible reality TV. I will confess that I watched The Bachelor listen to your heart. Oh my God. Oh my God, Heather. Quarantine made me do it. Yeah, rock bottom. Contagion. No, Contagion is rock bottom. (laughs) Contagion's rock bottom. We're going to talk about Contagion, what an incredibly prescient movie it was, what they got wrong as well, and where it fits into kind of that SF movie landscape now. 
Audrey will pick her five favorite SF movies. Uh, Heather and I already did this a couple weeks ago. Audrey's going to do it today. Will Sister Act 1 and 2 both <laughs> make it on the list? Wait and we'll check it out. And uh, I haven't had that much wine, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, I'm Peter Hartlob here with Audrey Cooper and Heather Knight, and this is Total SF. Okay, question number one for you, um, Audrey and Heather. Did you watch Contagion in 2011? Do you remember it? And uh, what was your reaction? And did you think about it for more than 20 minutes after it was done? I definitely watched it in a movie theater because, and I think I've said this on the podcast before, one of my strangest memories of being in the newsroom was at seven in the morning, for some reason, I was there super early. And I was, of course, the only one there at 7 a.m. because none of y'all show up that early. (laughs) And I looked up from my desk and Steven Soderbergh was walking through the newsroom (laughs) with like five other people. And I looked at him and I was like, oh, crap, I think that's Steven Soderbergh, which, first of all, I was impressed that I recognized him. I think everybody would be impressed that I would recognize him. Uh And what he was doing was looking for the dirtiest desk to film the scenes inside the Chronicle building. <laughs> so like after after you see Steven Soderbergh walking through the newsroom, you have to see what actually turns up from that, right? So I definitely saw it in the theater. You saw it in the theater. Uh, what did you think? I mean, did you were you contemplating this movie for the next nine years before the pandemic or <laughs> did it just sort of like, oh, that was entertaining? I think it was like, oh, that was entertaining. And wow, that could never really happen, right? <laughs> yeah. Little did you know. I have to say, the whole time I was watching it last night, in a strange way, I expected it to be really um, like triggering and like like watching CNN, but at night and with uh, Lawrence Fishburne or whomever. <laughs> all the, There are so many stars in this movie. Um, but... I actually found it strangely like palatable. I really expected to to not like this at all and like have nightmares. And I found it strangely, I don't know, reassuring in a way, maybe. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, it's a complicated movie that way. I mean, it has a lot of uh uh different it makes you feel a lot of different things. Um we'll talk about that, some of the strengths and weaknesses. Heather, did you see it in the theater? I think you had a one year old at the time. <laughs> Um. I did not see it in the theater. I did not watch it until March when you made me watch it. You gave me a lot of lead time, so I watched it right away. And now I barely remember because my big um, Achilles heel always, but even more so now in quarantine, is that I can never remember movies and books, even like a month later. So, But my overall impression was I was extremely scared. The scene of Gwyneth Paltrow's skull slicing. Uh-huh kicking it off I was, was my a highlight husband, my husband just got up and left the room at that point he was like I do not want to watch this and it went downhill from there well it's a 2011 film um, Steven Soderbergh's first mainstream film since uh, Ocean's 11 or Ocean's 13 one of the oceans about five years earlier um, only an hour and 40 minutes shot really quickly in Chicago uh, in Hong Kong 
and San Francisco. Uh, about 25% of it took place in San Francisco. Made $136 million worldwide, did well, did really well on DVD and Blu-ray, and then, like, everybody forgot it. Right around 2013, I think two years after this came out, I looked back, we did a poll of Chronicle Readers, your favorite San Francisco film. Sister Act 2, 2, got two votes. Contagion didn't get a single vote. Everybody <laughs> forgot about this film until it became our reality. All of a sudden, the pandemic happens, and it's the most viewed title on HBO Now since the pandemic started, including movies that came out like last year, like Oscar movies. It's beating that. So Contagion is kind of the anti-Zodiac in that um, David Fincher came to the Chronicle to shoot Zodiac, and I heard that he walked in, took like five steps in the newsroom, saw the huge mess, turned around, and replicated the studio in L.A. Uh, Steven Soderbergh, bless his heart, like so few filmmakers before him, decided to show a messy newsroom. Heather Knight, what did you think of the Chronicle's newsroom and its use in (laughs) Contagion? Uh, Very accurate. Messy desks. I actually went back. One thing I did remember from 2011 was that... um, Benny uh, Evangelista, who used to be a reporter in our business section, actually wrote about how his desk was used in this movie. And he wrote a really funny uh, personal essay about it that ran in the Chronicle um, that started, if there was a Kevin Bacon game for office chairs, I'd be one butt removed from actor Jude Law. (laughs) And then talked about how messy his desk was and why that was picked. Um, Frankly, my desk is in a perpetual state of clutter. I like it that way. I used to have a sign that read, a clean desk is the sign of a sick mind, but I can't find it anymore. So. (laughs) You know, what's funny, though, is, like, I watched it again last night, and Benny's desk was so much grosser in real life than what they ended up shooting. And I feel like they made his desk look better because most newsroom desks, I don't know what it is about reporters, but y'all are hoarders of the like ultimate degree. And if anyone follows me on Twitter, they know I, 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 I undertook an attempt to clean the newsroom this year and it was like, 5% successful and people just doubled down on putting junk on their desk. I don't know what that is, but that was at least an accurate part of contagion. Well, yes. Funny thing from that same article that Benny wrote, and I actually, I sent him a a message today and had a little exchange with him, but that was the second time that his desk was used in a movie as an example of a messy desk. He said he had a, a desk at the Oakland Tribune that um, the fire marshal was ready to, you know, order him to clean it up. And it appeared in uh, t- True Crime, the, the Clint Eastwood movie at the Oakland Tribune. Um, he also said that, that the desk, um, even though it's got this other actress using it, they still had all of his junk on it, including like a Star Trek Tribble, which did not meet the actress who, who was playing um, the Benny Evangelista role in this movie. Um, so, uh, anyway, I thought that was pretty funny. One thing we should post that personal essay when we post the podcast, because it has pictures of Benny sitting at his desk and the cameras above like a bird's eye view with stacks and stacks of stuff all around him. It's very amusing. It's you mean gross, pretty awesome. Um, I, I will say that one thing they didn't get right is the camera angle and the filters they used. 
Now, the Chronicle is, like, super messy. I would even say, like, you might have vermin crawling around yeah. in a desk, you know, where all well, the Well, we papers... had the cockroach in the archive, remember? Co- cockroach in the archive. I could imagine... Oh, like a... that is not the only ar- cockroach we have at the Chronicle, <laughs> I promise you. I could imagine, like, a possum living in someone's uh... desk. But one thing that didn't, we have a lot of light, like a lot of natural light. It's a bright newsroom, and they shot it as this kind of dark, dank newsroom. It looked like like there could be a mold problem at the Chronicle, which I don't think that's what we have. I mean, we have a lot of clutter. We have other but, problems. Yeah. <laughs> well, they did that with all of San Francisco. I thought like something was wrong with the lighting on my TV, but like the whole thing was so dark I guess in fitting with this horrible topic you made us watch Peter yeah you know what I thought and this is going to be super inside baseball but like you guys will remember in in the the olden days of the Chronicle when Bernie Beck was there and Bernie hated Bernie was a copy desk chief and he would come in in the evening and he would hate the light because it would shine the afternoon light would shine on their desk and it'd make it it harder to copy edit things. And he would go around and shut all the blinds in the place. (laughs) And that's like, you could tell time by what time Bernie was closing all the blinds. And my first thought when I saw the newsroom that dark was, Oh, Bernie just came to work. (laughs) (laughs) I remember years and years ago, I was sitting at my desk and, um, the director of HR, not the current one, long, long ago, um, came up to me and said, I need to talk to you about something. And I was all freaked out. Like, what did I do? The HR director's coming over. And she wanted to get my opinion on the <laughs> blind closing and whether they should be open or closed. Wow. There is no more controversial thing than the blinds <laughs> at the Chronicle, I swear. Well, I think we could do a whole episode on um, the How Chronicle. How the Chronicle is, yeah. <laughs> but uh, wanted to get to uh, what you like about Contagion. Positive. You can, you can bypass me on this one. <laughs> it's got a lot of good things. It's not a bad movie. Um, we'll start well, with I will Audrey. tell you that I have interviewed a couple of UCSF doctors for the podcast, not your podcast, uh, Fifth and Mission. And I have actually asked a couple of people if uh, Contagion is accurate, and they all say it's very accurate. Doctors and scientists are huge fans of this movie. That's good. I mean, there That's was a lot thing. about this that you were like, oh my gosh, they got this all right. Like, I, I did a podcast today with Idine about the contact tracers, and we have contact tracers in it, and we have, you know, the the run on the restaurant or uh, run on the grocery stores. And and I don't know about you guys, but when I watched it again last night, in the very first scene, they're like reaching into that that bowl of peanuts. I was like, Oh, why would you do? I mean, that was gross even before coronavirus was a thing, but like, it's really gross now. And to be that prescient about what a pandemic would do to us, even to the point of making up fake, you know, extreme, they call them bloggers and like we would call them internet personalities, but like, this is an amazingly smart movie considering it was made in what, 2011? Yeah. Eight Even the scene with, with Kate Kate Winslet when she tells everybody, don't touch your face. I was like, yeah, everybody keeps saying, don't touch your face. Kate Winslet in this movie, um, and she plays, uh, I think, CDC health official. Um, it's like she was sent back in time from 2020. I mean, so much of what she says is, you know, about the R-naught, and she's explaining the R-naught to people on the whiteboard, which was a really smart scene in Fomites and... Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it. it's a very propulsive movie. There's not a ton of action in it. There's a couple looting scenes, but 
the science and the explanation has to kind of push it forward. It reminds me of Moneyball in that way, in that it feels like an action movie, but it's not really. And I think it does that really well. One thing I did like about the movie in comparison to what we're going through now is that that virus seemed even worse. Um, I was reading an article about it today to remind myself of what happened. And apparently in the movie, every person would infect an average of four people and COVID-19 infects an average of like 2.4. And so that one in the movie took off way faster and your likelihood of dying from it was like um, 25 to 30%. So there were some reassuring things that were not as bad as that was. Oh yeah, definitely. Although there's still not social distancing in this movie. It's like we got a 2% rate and everybody's, so there were a couple things. That's that were true. And there was a lot of PPE. Like everybody yeah. had those like inflatable suits. And I'm like, where do you get one of those inflatable <laughs> suits? I'll go to Trader Joe's and that thing. I, I thought too, um, just a lot of the dialogue was good. I mean, just several lines that I wanted to repeat and I want to repeat on this podcast. I love the Elliot Gould when he's meeting with uh, the Jude Law character who's the blogger. And blogging is not writing. It's graffiti with punctuation. <laughs> I'm, I'm a former, I've done some, I think, a lot of my work has been on a blogging platform and I just laughed at that and all the stuff involving kind of shaming the blogger, I kind of found entertaining. Well, I mean, you know, I had to Google the time because it seemed so, I remember at the time that blogger comment seemed like, Oh, well, why, well, you know, everybody bloggers are different people. And I got very like self-righteous journalist on this, but you know, this, came out at really when Facebook was starting to become a thing and Twitter was starting to become a thing. And I think we forget how much we were bothered by disinformation on the internet. And now we just kind of take it for granted. Uh, there was a quote on there that says, you read that on the internet and you believed it. <laughs> and I, that, that's what made me laugh is I, I just think, you know, it was such a different and sort of more naive time about what information and disinformation could do on the internet because we weren't used to it like we are now. A movie's got to have a villain. I kind of give them credit for not having a politician really be the villain or the Chinese be the villain. They sort of had to have this kind of bad guy and they made it the blogger and maybe that's not fair, but... Um, no, it's totally fair because he's promoting some drug that doesn't do anything and there's no actual science behind it it is exactly the same thing that we should be doing now if yeah. we weren't so you know culturally balkanized yeah well it's interesting that in the movie the person um hyping this drug that wasn't gonna help anything was just some random blogger and now it's the president of the united states they did not see that coming i like this movie one thing i really like about it is um right away it's kind of game of thronesy in the way that Anybody can die at any time. I mean, Gwyneth Paltrow, and spoiler, Gwyneth Paltrow's head is getting cut open at the 14-minute mark. And again, the dialogue's really good. Her head's getting cut open, and there's this great scene where they're looking at who knows what in her brain. It's, it's uh, you know, clearly something's in there that's shocking these scientists. And the guy's like, hey, should I call someone? Yeah, call everyone, you know, and it... <laughs> You want me to um, take a sample? Or? Yeah, I want you to move away from the table. Should I call someone? Call everyone. 
there's so many like great kind of again propulsive scenes like that that just keep things going. So I, I it was think heartbreaking that, too that right after that her little boy died of the same thing. Yeah. That that was I, another I, scene where I was like, "Damn you, Peter Hartlob." I can't handle the dead kid stuff. No, I swear. Me I mean, I, I was actually glad that it happened very quickly, so I couldn't like actually care about this kid because <laughs> that was that was. Th- there's a lot that happens in the first 15 minutes of this movie. Yeah. If anything, I think it kind of peaks a little early, and then it takes a long time to kind of you know come to resolution. Who was that? His kid, or there was this whole thing with like. And then the daughter that survives, I couldn't tell if they that was They both had a child. She had this, this, I, this I remember. She had the son, he had the daughter, and they married after. So they were each other's stepkids. Yeah. No, beca- no, that's not true because they said something about how the daughter has her mom's genes and his genes, so they don't know which one was immune. The daughter was from uh, another wife. It doesn't matter. Gwyneth Paltrow <laughs> was a floozy in this. <laughs> yes, And yeah. like... Going all over Hong Kong and and well, I don't want to ruin it, but like, oh, you know, ruin what it. if Paltrow is the problem? Yeah. Blame like, goop. What's the word Blame for the, the first goop. patient? Patient. Patient zero. zero. Well, now that's that. Now everybody knows how it ends. That's fine. <laughs> oh, well. I mean, this is a spoiler-filled <laughs> podcast. Um, and also, I love. I went and read a uh, Gwyneth Paltrow interview around this, and her take on the character was like, "I just think it's a really strong character. She's a working mom, and you know, she's providing for her family, and just gets caught up." And I'm like, "No, you you hooked up with the you're dude from sleeping Chicago. with you're everybody all over yeah. Hong Kong." When they cut open her head, I felt nothing. So. <laughs> I agree. Gross, so, and I hope the guy that you slept with got it too. Yeah, Yuck. did they ever say that? I really wanted to know that detail. That's you know, that's one of the things that I think is a flaw of this movie. Um, there's, if you look on the IMDb, there's someone who played his wife that Matt Damon presumably went and talked to her or something, and that scene got cut. Um, mm. The Jude Law character, the blogger, it's really unclear what's happening at the end. He's getting you know interviewed by the feds and then he's free and he's shooting video and then the movie ends there's no resolution there um, I wasn't really clear on who was getting the vaccines and um, so it, you know they chopped it up I mean that's yeah. one of the flaws it was pretty short I feel like it could have been a little bit longer yeah you don't say that about films that much, much nowadays but yeah no I not agree. really but this one felt very short all right what else did you not like this is a not like slash like. I thought it was funny that the streets of San Francisco were even filthier during <laughs> yeah. the pandemic. Like there were literally piles of furniture and laundry and just trash everywhere. And I think that was because people were just throwing stuff out of their apartments because they didn't want like possibly infected stuff there maybe. I don't know. But it was like piles of trash. And even like now, I think the streets look cleaner than they do normally. See, so I assumed that was because the trash people refused to come to work. Oh, it wasn't clear. So that's what I assumed. And, you know, God bless our trash people and everybody who's coming to work. I I thought it was really a very dystopian. In, in some ways, I liked the movie to watch now because it kind of gave me faith in, like, America. I don't know. I mean, this has gone on longer already than this movie went on because it happens in a very short period of time. They miraculously like come up with a vaccine in a very short period. But it it descends very quickly and we have not descended like that and it gave me hope. Yeah. There was a lot of like looting and violence and 
stuff that hasn't happened, knock on wood, currently. I think the stuff that they got right is really smart. And then the stuff they got wrong is like fantastically wrong. Um, just all of the violence. The, there's no social distancing. This is like a 25 to 30% fatality rate. And you've got all these people in line inside the pharmacy, you know, I mean, and I wonder if there was some futurist, Larry Brilliant, who we've had in our, our pages in the Chronicle, um, was a consultant on the movie. And he probably told them, hey, they'd be spacing out here. And I'm sure they're like, well, it's much more dramatic if they're lined up in the pharmacy and start charging. But um, yeah, a lot of the stuff that they got wrong was was pretty far off. Yeah. It was interesting that they were so prescient about not touching your face, but then they didn't consider that you should stay apart from other people. Well, also they have Sanjay Gupta, like as the like resident MD. I love that. That's yeah. so great. I mean, I'm glad they didn't have Dr. Phil or any of these oh, other God. whack Dr. job Oz. doctors. Yeah. Any of these other crazy ones. And I really liked like the empty gym, like the, the like workout facilities that are all empty and like showing all the stuff that seems how it's so amazing like how they knew that was going to happen but the the wrong part is really the whole point of the movie which is like this miraculously brilliant vaccine doctor who injects herself and therefore she has a great vaccine in like two seconds I mean I wish that was true that was the one part of the movie that kind of depressed me because we're talking about you know, one to two years at best to have a vaccine for this. And it just kind of made me think like, well, yeah, we're not killing each other or looting yet, but we also don't have a vaccine. <laughs> it was kind right. of a bummer. I didn't yeah. catch it till the second viewing that the reason why she shot herself up with it, I initially thought it was because she was selfish. And then I figured it out because of the conversation she had with her dad that by shooting herself up, then they wouldn't have to test it on other people. So it sped things up. And they said, oh, you saved a million lives. So um, there's a lot of things that... I'm pretty sure that's not how the FDA works. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think Uh, if one scientist gives themselves the vaccine and goes to talk to their dad, then yay, the world is saved. But But you you know, another thing... I'm sorry, have we gotten to the what we like thing part yet? Or are we still talking about what we like? We're going back and forth. We're all over the place. I mean, you know, the the inequality issues that were highlighted, I also thought were really smart. Like there's this whole dialogue between the CDC doctor and his janitor and his janitor's son who has ADHD or maybe has ADD. And I just thought, wow, that was really smart too, because we weren't talking about wealth inequality in 2011, not at least not in a mainstream sort of way. And it even got to those issues of immunity and who gets it and who doesn't. And I thought that was pretty, pretty smart. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think that's, that's a good thing to pick up. Um, even with the kind of town that kidnaps the woman so they'll get the vaccine which seemed like a really crappy plan but long term it just seemed like a lot of work (laughs) to get the vaccine a little bit earlier but even when she gets returned the guy said yeah there have been kidnappings everywhere a lot of them are really rich people were kidnapping people I mean they're really careful to you know make it kind of nuanced the CDC head played by Lawrence Fishburne um, he makes a really crucial mistake, but it's a human mistake that he he gets the vaccine to his people early or, or gives a warning that there's going to be chaos early. 
And meanwhile, the, the underling of his who shoots herself with the vaccine, which was also a risky act that could have backfired, she's a hero, you know. So, yeah, it's, it's a movie with a lot of nuances. Do you know, one thing that I, I wondered about the whole way through, though, is, you know, we have this denialist thread going through American culture right now where you shouldn't have to wear a mask and you shouldn't have to social distance and it's not that bad and the, the CDC is making things up. And I feel like it's a very, that is a very um, specific nuance to this point in time that wasn't present in the movie. And I wonder if there, what, if there had been that denialist response would they have been looting that much? Would they have been shooting each other? Would it have descended that quickly? I mean, I don't know. I, I got really deep about whether, um, in a strange way, the people who believe in the conspiracy theories are kind of helping us maintain some sense of normal. Yeah. Yeah. I, your thoughts, Heather? Um, I just thought it was interesting that the only real naysayer who was pushing sort of strange, you know, not mainstream beliefs was this random blogger. Whereas now it just seems like a huge percentage of the country is that blogger guy. Yeah. And, yeah. um, and it's so divided now by party and of course the white house issue. Um, so yeah, a lot of things were not predicted quite as well in the movie in the political front. And the most important thing that this movie got wrong is that a teenage girl would want to go to prom with her dad. <laughs> I know, that was creepy. The creepy, I have that on my list, the creepy Matt Dillon prom where he doesn't even have the decency to play a song from her era. He plays the U2 song that was probably at his prom. Um, worst prom ever in a movie, Heather and Audrey? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, I don't know. The Twilight one's pretty crappy, too. Oh, Carrie. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. That's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> Crappiest prom. Worst prom ever. Yeah. So um, last thing that I had a problem with is back at the Chronicle, when um, the Chronicle reporter's just going through just like a series of cliches. Alan, we have almost no freelance budget anymore. But um, I don't like when she says, I'll show it to Hobart. Hobart he's our health reporter. And I'm like, hey. We have women health we reporters. Have women health and reporters. And they are kicking kick, ass. Who kick a lot more ass than Hobart does. So <laughs> Hobart. You, you got that wrong, Contagion. Aaron Alday would report circles around Hobart. Definitely Just wanted to get that I think our entire health team, except for maybe out of 10 people on the new health team, I think one of them is a guy. So whatever. Yeah, I, I wrote a couple health stories. I talked to Aaron all day first to make sure I was getting it right. So, um, so screw Hobart. Um, all right, before we move on to Audrey picking her five favorite SF films, um, any other thoughts, pro or con, on Contagion, and place Contagion just in the pantheon of San Francisco movies, where does this fit? Not even in consideration for me. I didn't think of it so much as a San Francisco movie because it took place all over the world. And San Francisco was just a small part. And also, it's super depressing, and I don't ever plan on watching this movie again. <laughs> That's such a depressing thing to say. I mean, I, I would be a little more generous. I think it's a pretty good movie. I love that the newsroom is in it pretty um, prominently. Um, there's even a scene that's shot, I don't know if you guys remember them shooting it, I do, 
in the alleyway um, of the Mint, like where yeah. 54 Mint, that restaurant is now. There was a scene with Kate Winslet there. I remember them shooting that. Um, so I don't know. I, I guess maybe I'm nostalgic for the Chronicle a little bit. And I um, would we used to be able to be <laughs> at the Chronicle so I, I would rate it a little bit better than that. And the most important thing is, unlike the horrible movies that you guys like, <laughs> it doesn't misrepresent anything about San Francisco, which I appreciate. I disagree with you, Heather, on whether this will be considered a San Francisco movie. I think because of what's happening and because of the renewed interest, when tourists come from out of town and want to see movie stuff, there are going to be more people wanting to see like Bill Graham Civic Auditorium and the Music Concourse and the Chronicle. Take me in the Chronicle. They're not going to talk about Zodiac anymore. They're going to be like, where's the Contagion desk? <laughs> um, so I, I think it's going to end up being considered, you know, something in the San Francisco movie pantheon and, and near the top. Not not near the top near in terms the of top. Not in terms of quality. I think it's a fine movie. It's not in my top five or ten or maybe even fifteen. <laughs> but it's gonna be a movie that people talk about when they talk about San Francisco movies and tourists they could do a contagion reality tour and they would probably get busloads of people to see it once we're allowed on buses and once we're allowed to be tourists again. Well, Peter, if you ever suggest showing this at our Total SF movie night at the Balboa, you can do it by yourself. <laughs> oh, Norton, that was the harsh. That was harsh. Mediate, Audrey. <laughs> you, I mean, Total I don't SF think this team is, the, is breaking up. <laughs> this is not the movie you want to watch in a like large movie theater full of people. No. I don't think. Okay, maybe not for a few years at least. Uh, Audrey. Have you made a list of your top five favorite SF films? Um, Heather and I did this a couple weeks ago. Mine were The Game, Last Black Man in San Francisco, Inside Out, Dirty Harry, and Star Trek IV. Heather, do you remember yours? Mrs. Doubtfire, Inside Out, Milk, of course, Sister Act, and So I Married an Axe Murderer. Excellent. Audrey, can you start at five? Um... I, I mean, you guys know, number one is definitely, this is not even debatable, so I married an axe murderer. <laughs> it just is. Um, I would put milk at number two and inside out at number three, and then probably the rock. And what I used to say, I like the very first time we did this podcast, I had, I think, Blue Jasmine and Mrs. Doubtfire in there. And I will say, they have both fallen off of my top five list because I watched them both somewhat recently we watched actually mrs doubtfire we showed it to our seven-year-old and i was really bothered by it the latest time i watched it i have to say i mean there are some there are some jokes that i don't think um play well in 2020 that made me kind of um uh you know i mean there there there's some gender fluidity jokes that are not appropriate for 2020 so i wish we still had robin williams here and we could do a remake of this because i think it would be a different movie if it was made now but what you originally asked me peter is what i would stream during the pandemic so uh -huh. my list is slightly dumber than it would have been <laughs> of okay. my my best my best one so what i will stream to see San Francisco on a big screen during the pandemic when I refuse to do anything except work 16 hours a day and watch stupid stuff like Ellen's Game of Games. Um, 
The Pursuit of Happiness. Oh. We've watched that. An excellent movie. I mean, it's really, we don't talk about that one. We should do that one. Um, and this is where it gets super stupid. Well, no, Always Be in My Maybe is also That's a, a great rom con. That's solid. I'm only going to watch rom coms until we're out of this because I need some relief. Sweet November, pretty terribly awesome rom com. <laughs> I don't think Serendipity. I've seen it. Oh, Peter, you have to see it. Sweet November. Charlize Theron yeah. and Keanu Reeves. Come on. This is like I'm terrible in. and awesome. Uh, Serendipity. I was really into this movie because it was both about a book nerd and she had really awesome hair that I wanted. And then finally, Just Like Heaven, which you has a terrible rom-com title, but it was Reese Witherspoon. And she has this great scene in Washington Square Park where she's going in and she's like an angel or something stupid like that. And she goes in and remember when Park Tavern used to be Moose's and it was a great restaurant to go to. And she talks about how she wants to go to Moose's. To me, that's like an old San Francisco movie. It shows the city well. It's brainless. And I'm only doing brainless <laughs> during this pandemic. I'm totally going to watch your list. I'm all about the brainless. Yeah. I have not seen Serendipity or Sweet November. So... Well, Got don't hate me. They're better than Sister Act 2, at least. <laughs> I'm going to watch it over the weekend. I'm going to have a couple beers, and I'm going to enjoy the hell out of it. I like a good rom-com. Just don't text me the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> when you're mad. Just turn your notifications off. He just made off. you watch Contagion. You're, you're yeah, that's it. right. You can do a rom-com weekend. I'm sure <laughs> your son will appreciate that. Well, I, I think um, back when we are at a real theater... Um, the kinds of movies we're going to watch. I'd love to see... The Rock was so much fun with the crowd. I'd love to see that again. I want to see San Andreas with the crowd. It's so much fun just in my living room. I think that'll be fantastic. But uh, we did our virtual movie night. We did Inside Out. Heather, I, I think it exceeded all expectations. Oh, yeah. We got SF Ruins Pizza trending nationally on Twitter. So, hello. We, we got the editor-in-chief of The Chronicle to make a pillow fort uh, in her house, I believe. I mean, that's not that hard. But yes, <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> uh, Pixar, Pete Doctor, and Jonas Rivera make a video. As Heather said, trend, trends nationwide um, become gets conspiracy theorists confused. Um, so I, I think I think I think a sequel would be warranted. If we do a sequel, we've kind of discussed this with a little bit. Your thoughts. I like the idea of a double feature where you do one before the kids go to bed and then you put the kids to bed and make a cocktail and then watch more of an adult one. That would be fun. I, I think that's an excellent idea because after this one, we were, it was almost, it was too late to watch a grown up movie and it was like too early to go to bed. So I like the double feature. I do not like the double feature idea of Sister Act, but you know, <laughs> you guys do that just to torture me. I think you should consider the pursuit of happiness. Yeah. Would that be more of the before bedtime or after bedtime? Yeah, I think it's okay with kids. I, I think we have to check a common sense media. Sometimes you don't think something oh, has... Yeah. Like, Miss Doubtfire is not good for, like, you know, I think, like, 11 and under, even. It, it's got a lot of humor in it. My, my seven-year-old was, like... If my seven-year-old who goes to the school with the gender-neutral bathrooms was not having this movie, yeah. and I don't blame him. There are... You know, it's a little dated. What do you think about, and this is some kind of 
crazy programming, but bear with me. What do you think about Princess Diaries, which anyone can watch, good movie, has a really good spirit, it's rated G, and then something like Basic Instinct? Or a horror movie like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, but... I like starting with Princess Diaries. I want to think about the second one. Do we like have the... to tell stories about Sharon Stone in the newsroom <laughs> if we do that oh, one? Oh, yeah. I think I, I think I signed a non-disclosure agreement when I moved from the Examiner to the Chronicle. Um, thank you for watching Contagion. <laughs> I, I didn't yeah, think you both no, do it. Yeah, no thank you for making me do it, but it wasn't as bad as I thought. Yeah. It's an important movie. I will forgive you movie. just this once. All right. Well, I appreciate you both um, taking a, uh, what is tonight? I don't know time anymore. Is it Tuesday, Wednesday? Something I don't like know. That. I don't know. I don't um, know. Thank you, pouring a glass of wine, taking a Tuesday night with me, and um, appreciate it. Uh, we'll, we'll get our movie night together. And until then, don't watch Contagion. <laughs> <laughs> don't right. get a Contagion, please. Excellent. <laughs> Everyone have a good night. You are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you to Heather Knight and Audrey Cooper. Total SF is a production of the Chronicle. Our music is The Tide Will Rise by the Sunset Shipwrecks off their album Community and Cable Car Bell Ringing by eight-time champion Byron Cobb. Now more than ever, support Total SF in the newsroom that creates it by signing up for a Chronicle membership at www.sfchronicle.com slash pod.